Hi, everyone. Uh, it's Max Robinson, and for my very first interview, I'll be speaking to Mike Shaw, a lecturer in the College of Computer and Information Science at Northeastern University. He studies how to speed up computer software and has specific experience in concurrent systems, as well as developing tools that make programmers' jobs easier. Mike is a really dedicated teacher and has completed his first year teaching courses at Northeastern, which include human-computer interaction and computer graphics, uh, among others. In the interview, he lays out his five rules for being an effective lecturer, and it's a great segment, uh, especially for those of you making the transition from graduate student or postdoc to a career in academia. So let's get started. Glimpse. 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 I can't do it. Hi, my name's uh, Mike Shaw. I'm a lecturer at Northeastern University. I study performance of systems, uh, how to make things, uh, computers specifically, run fast. Uh, and that's what I'm uh, working on now. Where did this start? Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Ohio, uh, Northeast Ohio. Uh, I have uh, one brother, mom and dad are still out there. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's is, Ohio is a great place to grow up. It has a little bit of everything there. Um, so you, you stayed there for your undergrad as well? Correct, yep. yeah. I stayed at uh, The Ohio State University. Then I bounced around a little bit on various uh, tech internships in Oregon, California, but eventually uh, landed in Massachusetts where we are now. Did you plan on being a uh, computer scientist when you were a kid, or was this something that just kind of happened? <laughs> I guess my, my earliest days, if you ask me, uh, when I was three or four, I wanted to own a sherbet shop, uh, specifically <laughs> orange sherbet. Uh, okay. So those plans have changed a little bit. <laughs> um, you majored in uh, computer science at Ohio State? Yep, that's right. Uh, I kind of dabbled in programming a little bit Okay. Um, up until high school, and I sort of had one uh, Google uh, search term. I said, how do I make games? Uh, oh. So I kind of looked at Google, and they said, oh, you have to learn how to program, and so on. And so I said, okay, I, I like video games a lot, so I'm <laughs> going to learn how to program now. Uh, so, so as I was doing high school and doing college visits, I learned about computer science and kind of said, okay, this is the route I want to go if I want to make games. And then, um, you know, then I decided to major in computer science. Did you work with making games when you were at Ohio State? Yeah. So my first position at Ohio State, I started as a web developer. Um, that was sort of an entry-level thing I could get into. Uh, but then there was this one email that was sent out that said, you know, games researcher. And I said, oh, you know, I just saw the games part and said, oh, you know, this is really cool. Uh, but then I sort of read the post and said, oh, you know, I can make uh, video games and help people. And, yeah. You know, so I like games. I like helping people. Uh, so I said, you know, this is a perfect opportunity. Well, what kind of game was this? <laughs> yeah. So this was a game um, around the time, if you remember, oh, this must have been about eight or nine years ago the swine flu was going around. Okay. Um, so there's a big scare. Um, so we're trying to build games that helped people understand um, how diseases spread. Um, so, you know, you had a character kind of wandered around the world uh, and could see uh, the disease sort of spreading and you had to defeat it. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so how, how would they defeat it? Was it through like uh, rapid dissemination of knowledge or? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the goals of the game, um, you know, just training people by giving them PowerPoints uh, may not be effective. Right. We sort of call this death by PowerPoint. <laughs> um, so the game was, you know, how do I get information? You could collaborate with people uh, within the game and sort of find uh, infected or potentially infected zones. And that was the objective of the game. You did graduate school and it wasn't games related, though. Yeah. So what happened was... Um, 
you know, I started this research project in games around sophomore year. And my boss comes up to me and he says, Mike, you're a smart guy. You should go to graduate school. I said, what's graduate school? <laughs> you know, no one in my family was a doctor. I didn't know. Um, you know, I thought this was for like medical doctors or someone else, but not for me. Um, huh. So then I started researching and seeing, you know, what's a PhD, what's a master's degree, these sorts of things. Yeah. And I said, okay, you know, this is kind of interesting. And I saw I could do it in all sorts of different fields. Um, but I was interested in um, video games, as I've mentioned, uh, but also computer systems. So how to make things run fast. Um, and there was sort of a common connection there between, you know, video games have to run fast, but just systems in general. Right. Um, so I got interested in that direction. Uh, and that's what I ended up uh, heading towards in uh, graduate school. Can you summarize um, your thesis? You don't have to do it in like 15 words, but I mean, kudos to you if you can. Sure. Uh, I think my title is actually longer than 15 words. But but my thesis work is on uh, understanding the performance of concurrent systems. So what are concurrent systems? (laughs) Yep. Perfect. Let's break this down (laughs) a little bit. Um, So the performance part's kind of easy, right? So you want something to run fast. you know, that's better, saves you time. Uh, concurrency, we can think of just our daily lives, right? We live in a concurrent world where there's multiple things happening at once, right? We're, we're both in this room, uh, we're both talking uh, and taking turns, and there's some ordering, but we're concurrently having this conversation. Um, so similar to software, um, things happen concurrently, right? If I asked you how many tabs do you have open on your web browser, probably more than one, right? Okay, uh, just to summarize, concurrent process is just one that is, there's sort of multiple things going on, kind of like a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, does that necessarily mean that they're um, interacting uh, amongst themselves, or are they just parallel? Um, so there is a difference. That's a great question. Yeah. So there is a difference between parallelism and concurrency, those sort of terms. So parallel is, you know, everything happening instantaneously. Okay. So that could be cars going down a street, right? Sort of instantaneously. Uh, Concurrency would be the cars uh, meeting at a traffic uh, signal. They have to stop. You want some ordering to be there. And so what are the the applications of concurrency uh, and and the performance of those systems? Yeah, so the applications um, are as broad as, right, we could say everything's uh, concurrent software today. Um, You know, your computer has multiple uh, brains in it, multiple CPUs that do thinking. Um, so in the browser example, if you have multiple tabs running, um, you know, your web browser is concurrently processing information. How did you uh, work to improve the, the performance of these systems? There's been a lot of work on concurrency on um, sort of making correct software, right? We're talking about all these tasks we have going on um, and how to make sure that they sort of perform correctly. Uh, but where there hasn't been a lot of work is on the performance side. Okay. Um, so that's where I started looking. And on the performance side, uh, often there's bottlenecks. Okay. So I'll give you a sort of uh, example. Okay. Uh, let's say we're in you know Cambridge, Massachusetts, or Boston. We sort of zoom out uh, from the <laughs> world, uh, and we look at what's going on on the streets with the the cars. Okay. Right. So anywhere that there's a little traffic jam, that we would consider a bottleneck. Uh, so what I like to do with my research is find out where those bottlenecks are and figure out how we can, you know, clear the traffic jams. Okay. And, and so how do you tease out those bottlenecks? So where we started out was just, here's all the data, giant spreadsheet, um, try to figure it out. Obviously didn't work well. So <laughs> <laughs> we moved on to uh, some visualization work. Okay. Okay. Um, so how can we 
uh, visualize you know where the bottlenecks are in our software. Can you give us some um, description of what that is? For me, I, I, I guess I see like maybe a, a tree of some sort. Yeah, so trees. Uh, uh, a very good analogy, and we have different things, uh, tree maps or tree views, uh, call trees, for example, are the technical terms. Um, but, you know, for our listeners, thinking about sort of a flow chart, right, of here's where I started, here's the next task that I did, here's right. the following one, and then here's maybe where I could branch out and do one thing or the other. Uh, and that can expand in sort of a tree-like manner. Interesting. Um, okay. So if you're trying to visualize this, just think of a, a family tree, um, and that's sort of what this looks like. <laughs> okay. Do you have internal timers that you kind of place in there? Yeah. I mean, you got it. It's actually a really simple mechanism uh, of just timing, right? How long it takes to do something, right? Mm-hmm. How long does it take to get from A to B? Uh, and we actually have a special name for these sections we're timing. They're called critical sections. And these are anywhere that you can um, have sort of uh, a traffic jam. And that's what I'm particularly interested in timing, to sort of narrow the space down. So is there anything else you would like to do with this this visualization? Yeah, so something I'm really passionate about and want to keep improving with this visualization is, you know, let's say I give you this sort of tree view, uh, and you've never seen the code before, right? You're a beginner programmer, someone starting on, you know, the first day on their internship or their job. Uh, What can they sort of infer or learn from this? because I think computer science can be difficult. So I'm always thinking about ways of, you know, how can we help programmers help people learn? Uh, That's something I'm very passionate about. So what form would this take? Yeah, so I think there's different tools and different abstractions that can be expanded on. So not just a tree, but uh, different sort of views of the data. Uh, And sometimes I don't know what the best view is. So can I give, you know, the user an opportunity to sort of change the view, maybe transform the data a little bit in a way that makes sense to them? Uh, and I think there's a lot of room for progress. And, th- and there's other smart people working on these problems as well. That's interesting. So it sounds like you almost have to be uh, in some ways a behavioral psychologist <laughs> to kind of understand what what will kind of stay in somebody's uh, attention span. Yeah, you almost want to be able to present some sort of suggestion, right? Like a sort of spelling correct or something like this. And we have sort of for this nudging kind of a fun name for it. Uh, it's called Code Smells. Code smells <laughs> to kind of lead you in the right or wrong direction, however you want to think about it. And and I know that you were uh, very interested in uh, in teaching as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, so when I was a graduate student, graduate students weren't actually allowed to you know teach and run their own course. Um, so I found my way to sort of you know teach as much as I could. I would ask professors, you know, hey, can I teach a lecture? Um, and, you know, of course they would say, yeah, they'd say, yeah, <laughs> you know, day off for them, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but uh, so I got a lot of experience uh, doing that, and I served as a teaching assistant um, for many courses. So just okay. over time, I just really enjoyed working with students. Uh, again, I was a bit of a rebel, and <laughs> then I went and created a uh, independent student organization um, within our school. Uh, we called it the Computer Science League of Learning. And, and this is totally centered on people learning uh, to code. Exactly. We had people from, you know, psychology, occupational therapy, uh, economics, you know, other uh, engineering disciplines, 
we had doctors coming to us. We had uh, people who were uh, friends of the graduate students or, or, you know, someone's wife or husband who just heard about it <laughs> and they would come to us. Um, did you find that there was a certain group that you didn't expect to really take up coding that ended up taking up coding really well? Yeah, you know, the occupational therapists actually did a really good job. That's um, so interesting. Oh, do you do you have an idea why? I have no idea why, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I can just go back to saying I, I think that coding's for everybody. Um, so that's sort of one of my mantras. You know, anyone can learn it, um, yeah. and the folks who are willing, uh, they learned. <laughs> so, yeah, so why... Uh, why do you think coding is is for everyone? What what kinds of uh, things about it? Is it just the sort of the rationality of the pure logic of it? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, right? So when I think about coding, I think of it like following a recipe in a cookbook. Okay, uh, right. Very often, that's that's how they'll uh, or will sort of teach as instructors what an algorithm is. You know, it's a recipe. You follow step one and then step two, uh, and you know anyone can do that, um, which is you know very great i think that makes it very accessible right right can you uh give me a little bit of the details on your your move from being a graduate student who is very interested in teaching very well versed in code and then moving into a university lecturer uh now yeah so in my last year of graduate school there's sort of this uh big decision right do you want to go into academia or industry Right, uh, and I started looking at you know some of my previous experiences to see where would I truly be happy, and you know some of these previous teaching experience uh, when I think about it, I'm like I was even tutoring people at Starbucks right to just make <laughs> extra money. <laughs> so I just sort of looked at those experiences, uh, and I even had a job and was working part time in my uh, final year um, in grad school at a startup, and it's a very cool company. You know, they did all sorts of Hollywood stuff. Um, but I said, you know, where am I going to be happy? Where am I going to have true job satisfaction? And for me, that was teaching. Um, and what happened was uh, I actually went to dinner uh, with someone who's the, the dean of Northeastern now. Oh. Um, because I had uh, I had been invited. I'd helped one of her PhD students with something. And she kind of said, uh, the dean said, Mike, what are you doing after graduation? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm kind of bouncing around doing these things. And she said, Mike, you should uh, apply for a job here. And, you know, knowing who this person was, <laughs> that meant, Mike, give it a shot, you know? <laughs> so I guess guess from there, there was kind of no doubt in your mind that uh, this is what you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think enough people had been telling me, uh, granted, you know, they're, they were professors who, you know, want their students to also, you know, go into academia. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this is true uh, in all fields. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's good to hear, I guess so. <laughs> Um, but you know, they, they had said, you know, Mike, I think this is the path for you, you know, whether you see it or not. Um, and you know, after doing it for this past year, um, you know, I've been incredibly happy. Uh, you teach your first semester and, and this, this last semester as well. Correct. Correct. Um, and, uh, what, what courses did you teach? Yeah. So I taught a, a wide variety of courses. Um, I taught discrete mathematics, human computer interaction, computer systems, computer graphics, and a building game engines uh, class. Interesting. So were these classes that you um, you TA'd for, uh, or these classes that were kind of things you took in, in graduate school <laughs> and were like, yeah, yeah, I know that. <laughs> uh, luckily, I think everything I had uh, TA'd for at least one time uh, in my career. Um, so, you know, the students had some baseline, you know, I wasn't... Uh, it did feel like laying the tracks ahead of the train, uh, so to speak. Um, but I did have some uh, training, which was helpful. 
Do you have thoughts on what are the really important skills to be a great professor? Yeah, yeah. So I'll try to think of at least uh, five or so. Uh, number one, I think, is always that you're teaching humans. Okay, so you have to understand what the the limitations of the humans are. Uh, so I teach classes that are an hour and forty minutes long, uh, for instance. Oh wow! Uh, in every uh, class, <laughs> I show halfway through this class this little uh, chart that shows a human attention span. At the very top, when students enter class, uh, attention, you know, and energy are very high, uh, and then it just dips down dramatically until the end of class. <laughs> so, so you know, it, it's hard to listen to. Like, part out some coffee for them or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so I always try to remember that I'm teaching uh, humans first. Um, that's rule number one. Uh, second rule, I think, is, uh, and this might be a little bit silly, is uh, learn everyone's names. Uh, you know, yeah. the difference it makes just to know someone's name when you're calling on them, when you see them in office hours, uh, students and humans in general respond to that uh, very well. Uh, so the third one is um, just to be patient. Uh, and this is maybe one of the hardest ones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's very easy to sort of um, look at a student and say, well, I explained this in lecture right? Um, or I said this three times, or it's on the website. Um, but you have to be patient, uh, because different people learn different ways. Uh, I remember what I was like as a student. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I didn't always pay attention. Number four is uh, try not to be intimidating, uh, right? And, and I guess, you know, we can kind of fold some of these rules, maybe into one, uh, the first rule, be human. But uh, computer science is really one of these fields um, where I think a lot of people are just scared of technology. Right. Uh, and this ranges from the freshman students I see all the way up to the graduates even. Uh, so, again, just being kind, being human, uh, being uh, sort of thinking about different ways to, um, you know, again, be patient with the students and not, um, you know, you said this the wrong way or you didn't do things right. But going back to the, oh, I didn't think about it that way. Can you explain? Uh, when someone says something is is there a five is there a number five yeah, number five sort of the big one uh okay and this is i love to sort of paraphrase this quote from uh, ralph waldo uh, emerson uh, one of the philosophers uh, from many years ago uh, he said it's sort of a beautiful thing that you can't help someone else without helping yourself uh, so i always try to embody that as a teacher you know as I've mentioned, I'm learning just as much as the students uh, when I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. And that helps me, you know, be interested in the materials because I'm learning. Uh, I'm interested in the things I'm teaching. Uh, so I think that's a really nice sort of feedback loop as a teacher to know that, you know, there's always something for you to learn. It's always fresh. Students are always going to challenge you with different questions you never even thought of. And I think that's uh, a really exciting thing. So is there anything that you see on the horizon within uh, AI or computer science in general that gets you fired up or uh, you see as being potentially really harmful? <laughs> That's a really great question. And I think about this, you know, every time I turn on the news, you know, with computer science that brings a lot of automation into the world. And again, I try to look at things from a very positive perspective. You know, I'm excited that there's going to be, you know, drones that deliver my groceries to me. I think that is going to save me a lot of time, right? right. Uh, you know, I'm excited there's going to be cars that drive, you know, me to work. So I don't have to drive, you know, in Boston again, which is <laughs> very difficult. Right, right, right. <laughs> all good things so far. Yeah, all good things so far. Um, and with them, there will be challenges, mm. right? Maybe cars won't work out. 
but things happen in cycles, right? So maybe the cars or the drones won't work, but then 10 years from now, maybe it'll come. And that's very exciting to me. Uh, I think this idea of, you know, automating things frees us up to do a lot more interesting tasks. Um, so that's something I'm really excited about, right? We as humans are a really good resource. We are good thinkers. Uh, so we want to be doing, you know, we don't want to be behind the wheel of a car stuck in rush hour. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a little bit skeptical. <laughs> It'd be great to have the ability to do really creative tasks um, all the time. But you have to continue to generate that motivation mm -hmm. in some ways. Is that kind of the maybe the double-edged sword of some of this? That might be it. You might have, yeah, hit the nail on the head there. But okay. uh, but I think, uh, yeah, the creative aspect's going to be definitely where we're needed, right? Someone has to, you know, program these machine learning algorithms. Someone has to train, you know, these cars, what a road looks like, how it drives, and so on. Um, so I think those tasks will still be there. People will still be there to verify them. Um, but yeah, we'll see in 10 years, you know. Do you see any other, um, big breakthroughs in the, in the coming future? Yeah. So I think what I'm really excited about is more people are learning how to program. So this includes, you know, scientists, biologists, chemists, and so on. And in the biology world, the sort of computational biology, we're using programming and, you know, biology DNA as sort of your programming tool. I think that leaves a lot of room for really interesting breakthroughs uh, and cures to be found uh, for various diseases. And that's something that just I never would have thought about, you know, 10 years ago, you know, these sort of things. But I think that's a really exciting, uh, really exciting time ahead for us. Is there a favorite factoid that you have? So, so usually I like to bring up the fact that I've, uh, I am an avid runner. I've run, you know, two marathons and a couple halves. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. And this is usually when I'm around, you know, the dessert table or whatever. I'm like, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've earned it. I've earned it. <laughs> Do you feel like that since you're a runner, you don't have to walk upstairs? <laughs> I'm a runner myself. So yeah. sometimes I feel that like, oh, well, it's okay. Uh, I just ran. Yeah, I have no guilt. Uh, is there a favorite misconception that that pops up that you constantly have to correct? I think it's when I tell people what I do, um, even as a teacher, they, they still imagine me behind the desk programming all day. And computer science is really collaborative. <laughs> you talk to people. Uh, it's not just behind a desk. Um, so that's something I want to debunk. And what do you think your best skill is as a researcher? Yeah, so as a researcher, and this was one I had to learn. Uh, it's building an outline okay. uh, So for what the work I'm going to do. Okay. And that was something I had to learn uh, well into my graduate career that, uh, you know, just taking the time to think about what you're going to do. And that means away from the computer, you know, on a whiteboard, on a piece of paper. Uh, so not writing any code, uh, but writing out what you think the steps are you need to do. Uh, that's been, you know, invaluable. And I have to work with my students on this always right. <laughs> they don't believe me <laughs> right it's like a good good base exactly to, to build and um is there a piece of advice or wisdom that's been the most important to you yeah so this one uh, i'm actually gonna steal from uh randy pausch who is a late scientist at carnegie mellon uh, but he always said uh the brick walls are there uh not to stop us but to really uh, make sure that the individuals who want to break through can get there. Uh, so we're all going to encounter various uh, brick walls uh, in our life. But, you know, they're not there to stop you. You can always, you know, climb over it, go around it. Uh, you can find a way uh, to get something done. We'll probably end on that. That's, that's great advice. 